Welcome to Black Equity Podcast. Now, previously, Black Equity Premium listeners had the opportunity to sit down with our guests earlier this year. Before you build your empire, we want the podcast world to know that diversity and inclusion are more important than ever before. Carrie Gray is a diversity and inclusion influencer, plus a talent consultant hailing from Washington, D.C. She's a champion for human rights and a friend to the show. Be sure to listen to her take on how to build an inclusive empire, then head over and join us on June 30th so you can learn how to build your own empire at our virtual summit. So with that being said, let's dive into this conversation. Now, keep in mind, we had this conversation before the recent protest in Washington, D.C., so I'm sure Carrie Gray will come back on the show soon to talk about some of the things that she's experienced while she was protesting and understanding the radical change that was necessary to eliminate racism and discrimination in the workplace and the world overall. So... Let's jump into this conversation. I'm DJ Mochi of Black Equity Network, and welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. here for another great episode of Black Equity. I'm your host, DJ Motri of Black Equity Network. And a lot of our conversations are focused on the elevation of our community and of our people. And I see no better topic than the topic that we're going to talk about today. As we are speaking with business owners and investors, uh, the topic always comes up is how do you create a more diverse and more inclusive environment? And for a lot of business owners and investors, they have no idea where to begin. And so I know in this episode, we can kind of tackle the foundational uh, elements uh, around that world. So on the line now, we have Carrie Gray. Carrie, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me today. Welcome to the Black Equity uh, Premium channel. Uh, We are excited for having you uh, on the program. Tell us a little bit about yourself and a a little bit about your background. Definitely. So um, a couple of things that um, really kind of come out in my work is that I'm very passionate about ensuring that companies, organizations, and individuals have this foundation of building leadership at the intersection of wellness. 
Um, so what I mean by that is that as I'm going to start on the individual perspective and then transition that over into a corporate organizational perspective. Okay. So as an individual, you could be going throughout life trying to figure out what does it mean to be successful? Um, so I do a lot of work with young people and your business, your advocacy may start on a college campus and you're trying to figure out what does it mean to create a mission? What does it mean to run an organization? What does it mean to recruit? How do I do something that really feeds and fosters into an entire campus and entire organizations and bring them in? And as, as you're on that journey of trying to understand like all of these skills that end up being transferable into the workplace, you also might be trying to figure that out while you're also a black person who's also a black person who may have mental and physical health conditions. And so what does it mean to have that additional layer of, I am over here trying to be successful. I'm over here trying to create something that's very positive for my community. Um, and in the midst of that, I have to find a balance of my health and my wellness. So I'll give you an example with me. So I identify as a black woman with disabilities. Um, at the age of eight years old, I was diagnosed with osteosarcoma bone cancer, and I pretty much lived in the hospital um, throughout a lot of my elementary school years. And um, when I came out of that experience, I found that I not only was this like, you know, black girl growing up in the South, trying to figure out all of those different real things that still exist of living on the other side of the railroad tracks, of trying to be successful and knowing that the ways in which I look, the way in which I talk, like my passions can make a lot of people uncomfortable off top. But in the midst of that, I'm also seeing that when people see this girl with a prosthetic limb, when they find out this girl has like hearing loss, is this someone that I can collaborate with? And people might have all of these questions about how much can this person do? And how much can we work and collaborate together? And I find that, you know, regardless if that is something that happens in your younger years, or if that's something happens that when you're older, you're still on this journey of figuring out how do I disclose parts of who I am in the midst of me trying to be successful. So my journey has been this like intersectional experience of trying to be successful, trying to figure out how to run initiatives and programs and create something that's really positive. In the midst of me having to like navigate these very personal dynamics of being a black woman with disabilities. And so in the, in the work that in which I do in my business, we try to create spaces where people can just have these conversations. Disability prevalence is actually one of, um, uh, is highest in the African American community outside of the Native American community. So if we know that we have people in the black community that have autism, that have mental health conditions, that have physical disabilities, then what does that mean to create spaces where you know these folks are like incredible at what they do? You know that they bring talent to your organization and to your projects and initiatives, but there's this additional layer of how do I create a space that's inclusive and accessible? So in my business and my work, we just make sure that you're equipped for that. <laughs> so I'll just start that off as, as the internet. Awesome, awesome. So the way my mind works, I tend to want to find the opposite feeling of what I'm looking for so I can really tap into what it is I'm trying to manifest. Mm 
And that may not make sense yet, but it may make sense in, in a second. Right. <laughs> what does it feel like to be excluded? Because I think if we can get to the, the root of that question of what it feels like to be excluded, then maybe people can understand why it's important to have inclusion. Right, that's real, you know, and, and I think that's a question and, and a topic that's going to resonate with people in a lot of different ways. I mean, who hasn't felt this like sense of being left behind, of no one sees or understands the value in which I bring into a space? Um, I'm going to talk about it specifically through the lens of these intersections of being like black and having like physical and, and, and mental health conditions that can create this atmosphere of exclusion. So I'll give you an example. Um, so I was working with um, one of my students and um, I was asking her, I mean, she's so talented. Um, she is, you ever just have somebody that is not only like so intellectually smart, but just kind hearted, a genuine person, the type of energy that like, I'm going to just bring, you need me to take notes, you need me to coordinate a call, like jumps on tasks and opportunities, like that type of talent, right? And so I'm having a conversation with her because I have an opportunity to put together um, a program in front of about um, 100 different uh, Fortune 500 companies. And I wanted to present like this, this panel discussion about diversity and inclusion with a young voice and with the voice of someone who knows like what it takes to have passion to make things happen. And I'm talking to her and I was like, hey, like, you're amazing, you're incredible, I want you to moderate this panel. And um, she looks at me and she, she laughs and she's like, Carrie, like, I have, my disability is a speech impediment. I have a stutter um, and it's a very noticeable stutter, right? Um, and she continues to tell me this story uh, when she was in uh, a time and when she was in high school and her entire class had to have a speech competition and it was her turn to get up and give a speech and the teacher started to get really impatient and frustrated with her because she was taking so long to get her words out to the point that she just dismissed her and told her to go sit down somewhere mm. <clears throat> So she's telling me the story and she's like, you know, she's very positive. Like I said, she's so amazing. She's getting all of these honors. Like she's the type of person you see her future and where she's gonna go. And I, I'm, I'm presenting this opportunity to her and she's telling me no, because she's still stuck in this place of when someone left her behind, of when someone excluded her. If when someone said like, your voice is not gonna work for me. Um, but then at the end, it came from a person who should have been one of the primary people to up, like to like raise her up, you know what I'm saying? So I'm thinking about like all of the different examples and all of the different times when someone has told us like our voice, our bodies, our minds are like not valuable. And what that does for us when we are presented different opportunities and how we might not actually take up on them because of those types of experiences. So when I think of exclusion, 
I think about the process in which we go through and live in a world and society that can just be really cruel um, because they don't understand and they're not willing to be patient with someone who may speak slower. They're not willing to be understanding or patient with someone who may not be able to walk as fast or like whatever the case may be. And I have this mentality of what does it mean to like reject those types of like mindsets and think creatively about the real talent that we can bring into the workplace, right? Like look at the situation that we're in now, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic. And part of my business that I do is that I literally go onto different college campuses. I do presentations, workshops, keynotes. Like there's a lot of people that do in-person events and you can't do that right now in a safe way. But just because you cannot do that right now does not mean that your business has to die. It means that we have to look at our business models in a very creative type of way. And we have to evolve as a business and a company in order to sustain ourselves. So I say that to say that when we're thinking about this concept of diversity and inclusion in the workplace, and we're thinking about genuine, true talent that we can be working with, you could be the talent, or you're thinking about it from a, a company's perspective and you're trying to bring in the best talent, that requires you to be the type of person and the type of leader that does not think about exclusion, but instead thinks creatively about how can I design spaces and workplaces that says, I don't care what your stutter looks like. Can you bring what I need in this workplace? And that's the question that I would wanna challenge um, people to, to think about. Okay. So let's state that question one more time. Uh, what is the question that you're using to challenge? And let's see if we can challenge uh, some minds today. I would, to, so to restate that question, mm -hmm. I would want to challenge people to think creatively about their business models and think creatively about bringing in diverse talent that is going to get the job done. Right. And I'll, I'll just give, I'm, I'm an example type of person. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, you know, just to, just to try to break that down one more time. I, I think that, you know, as we go through this journey in the process, um, you think about like your relationships, right? And a lot of times we have this ideal image of my man is going to look like this <laughs> or my woman, she going to have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and that's going to be like the perfect set for me. Right. And then when you actually get into relationships, you find out that people are just not what you expected them to be. Right. right? Like they, they can be messy. I thought that they were going to clean up after themselves. They don't mm. always do that. <laughs> I thought that they were going to have this 501k and maybe they're trying to start a new business. Like our expectations start to like shift and we have to figure out what is genuinely important versus that original vision that I might've had in my mind. Mm. So as an individual, as someone who may not have thought that you would grow up having disabilities, as a company who may not have thought that you could hire an executive that has chronic pain and ultimately has to maybe take additional days off or maybe has to work remotely because of that chronic pain, like in some ways I want to say, who cares? <laughs> but I'm not trying to be too dismissive. I think one of the biggest things that I, again, I want to challenge people 
is to not stay stuck on this traditional mindset of what an ideal employee, of what an idea business looks like, and instead ask yourself the question, what am I trying to accomplish and who can get me to that goal? And if that person has a disability, but they can get me to that goal, then so be it. I think a lot of times in business, we have these quote unquote policies that are in, that are in play that can be very toxic. And so when we say something like, well, you know, we've created a, a company policy that no one can work remotely. Uh, and then now look where we're at, where everybody has to work remotely. It's like, well, you know, you're going to make this exception now, but two weeks before a pandemic, you were telling everybody uh, right. that they couldn't work remotely, especially someone who may, like you, like you said, have some type of chronic pain or needs to work remotely. They may not even received the job a month before because of that one stipulation. And so what I think I'm hearing uh, from you is, uh, instead of waiting for the worst thing to happen, which is pandemics and everything else to adjust, if somebody is able to do the job, especially at the highest level possible, we should uh, find ways to be accommodating towards that person instead of finding ways to get rid of them. Instead, you know, they may not be able to work, uh, you know, all five days because they have to go to a doctor's appointment uh, two days out of the week. Can you work around that when the, the same amount of work is being completed, the same amount of things that you need done are being done at the top level? Uh, what are you doing within your business to accommodate what people's needs are? Exactly, exactly. And I think the, the second wave to this process, right? So I think the first wave is us having that mentality of inclusion, right? So we're, we're having this conversation about what does it mean to exclude people and that leading us to the conversation of like, you know what, I want to have an inclusive company. I want to be an inclusive person. And I think the second wave is like, how do I do that, right? How do I create these types of spaces where people know that I'm willing to, to work with people from diverse backgrounds? How do I have conversations where folks are willing to discuss accommodations so that it's not a surprise, it's not something that's awkward? And I wanna say that's super real um, because one of the things that I found is I don't think diversity inclusion just like always naturally occurs, right? So if you're a company that never in your life has been inclusive of black people, and one day you put a sign up and say, blacks are welcome. <laughs> you think we just about to show up and right. be like, <laughs> you know, hey, like maybe this is the place for me now. No, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some understanding for this bridge to be formulated. And I think that's another piece that we have to consider within our own businesses and our own operations. Of, I want to be a model. I want to be the type of place that is seeking real genuine talent. So what types of steps can I be taking to ensure those spaces exist? So one, I would say, come holler at me. <laughs> right. And really talk about that and break that down and, and create a plan for you. But one of the first steps that I would give people is be prepared on how to have, I call them awkward conversations, <laughs> because I think oftentimes they start off awkward, 
Um, but I think the more traditional like way to say that is like be prepared to have conversations about um, identity in the workplace. Um, so what? So the, I guess the formal phrase is like there's this process of what's called disability disclosure. So you might have an employee, as I mentioned, sticking right right now with the like the chronic pain example. Um, so there's individuals who uh, their body may cramp up, intense, and it could be mild, it could be extremely painful, and typically there's like techniques that folks use in order to still be able to work, but also navigate their pain. Um, so that might mean them requesting accommodation to work remotely more often, you know, things to that nature. But the issue is first that that employee needs to be able to approach you and say, hey, here's what's going on with me. Here's like a condition that I have. You probably can't see it. And um, for me, it's different, right? I have this prosthetic limb. The moment I wear shorts, I limp around. People notice that something's going on with me. It can create a really easy opening for folks to say, do you need something? And for me to respond. But thinking about this in the sense of like, some people have very visible disabilities, some people have invisible disabilities. And so, you know, how can you as a supervisor, as a business owner, off top, create this type of space to say, um, if anyone has needs, if anyone needs to disclose something, let's have a, let's set up a time and let's make sure that you feel comfortable with being able to share with me, here's what's going on and here's what I need, right? Um, and some ways in which you do that is by being comfortable sharing yourself. So you may not have a disability, you might have a disability, and if you're comfortable sharing that, you don't have to, but if you're comfortable sharing that, I think creating space for people to share their stories is powerful, right? But even if you don't have a disability, say you're in a situation where um, you're a new mother, you're a new father, and you're wrestling with like, what does it mean to take care of this newborn and I'm trying to be a boss. <laughs> and like, I have to like rearrange my schedule so that I can pick up my kid from daycare, that I can answer the phone at any given moment if there's an emergency, right? Like that's your situation where you're having to navigate like a new experience and it may call for things that might not be traditionally considered like professional or acceptable. And so how can we share stories with each other so that folks know this is the type of space where if I do have something going on, that I can say that. And then that way, instead of it being like after the fact, like I'm taking just days off or I'm trying to be like really sneaky about having like a, a heating pad in my office and hoping nobody sees it, like that's not really productivity. Right, that's not real inclusion when folks feel like they have to constantly hide that narrative and that part of themselves. I wear head wraps all the time because I'm black. I, you know, I have a certain style because I'm black. I don't want to minimize that and turn into someone I'm not because I'm unsure if people are comfortable with my blackness in the workplace. In a very similar way, I don't think it's productive for us to create environments where we have to constantly minimize the fact that I have a prosthetic. The fact that I might have chronic pain, the fact that I need to go to therapy every Friday, like whatever the case may be. Um, so I think one of the first things that I would really recommend in sharing stories 
and creating spaces for people to have that disclosure of what's going on with them in a private setting and be able to tell you, here's my needs. Is there any way in which we can work this out? I'm telling you, we will deliver the results that you're still looking for. Okay. So, and this, this is a really great uh, and fruitful conversation. Uh, I'm going to go down a path where it may be awkward a little bit. So then we can tackle some of these, um, these, these forbidden questions in the space. Okay. Um, now, technically, I don't have all the information in front of me, but I don't believe a, an employer uh, can, you know, not hire somebody based off of a disability or a perceived disability. So how soon should someone tell their employer of, you know, hey, there's this world that you got to be prepared for when you when you're working with me? How soon should they be telling their employer? Um, what do you say to that? Yeah, that's real. Um, so the first piece I would mention is, is you touched on um, the fact that um, it, it's illegal to discriminate against people with disabilities in your hiring practice, right? Um, so you're talking about a piece of legislation that's called the Americans with Disability Act. Um, this was a piece of legislation that was passed in 1990, and we're actually going to be celebrating 30 years of that legislation this July. Um, awesome. And so um, I definitely recommend people do like a quick search on it because it can help break down and explain um, what are your rights as an individual and what are the responsibilities that I have as a, a, an organization, as a business and hiring people with disabilities. Um, it really breaks down how disability is not just like a, um, a label in terms of uh, socially, but it's a legal term. Um, and there's responsibilities that get upheld in that. Um, I think the second piece to what you're talking about is how soon do you disclose? So that's actually a tricky question um, because there, there, there's actually kind of like two responses I'm going to take on that. Okay. Uh, so the first one being is that it is always an individual's right to choose when they are ready to disclose. Um, always. Like I, I or no one can ever tell you first day of the job, <laughs> you know, whatever the case may be, this is when you come out with your disability. And that's really, really important um, because stigma is real and discrimination is real. And when you start talking to a lot of people with disabilities, you will find that their, their narratives are often a journey and a process of coming out. I'll tell you, when, when I got diagnosed with osteosarcoma bone cancer when I was eight years old, I did not start wearing shorts and, and talking about my disability until I was 20. Wow. It took a long time. And even when I hit that point of starting to talk about my disability, it was still a process. It was still, it, there was levels to it. It was like, all right, so maybe now I'll wear shorts because it's 100 degrees and I'm in Texas and like, let me get over that. <laughs> um, and then it's another thing right. to one conversation with someone and say, here's how this disability impacts me. It's another thing to say, you know, will I ever show someone the extent of my symptoms? 
right? And then on top of that, we started this conversation talking about exclusion. Like oftentimes these journeys are very much rooted in trauma. We have had people who formulate disabilities because of police brutality, because of domestic violence, because of things that happened to them as, as children. We've had people who may have been born with their disabilities and got completely bullied throughout school. Like sometimes you're fine, right? Like you're, you're just an advocate, you are who you are. But I think the reality is, is that oftentimes people with disabilities are on this journey of how do I disclose in a way that I feel is not giving people the keys to break me down even further. It can be scary. Um, and so I think that the first response to that is it's the individual's responsibility to be on that journey of finding confidence, self-love, positivity, community, all of those different things so that you can get to the point where you can say, I'm Black, I'm a woman, I'm disabled, it is what it is, and I'm talented, then I'm up. <laughs> you know, like, it, you just have to go through that process and, and decide when you can be open about it. I think the second piece to that <laughs> is I am going to encourage and push people to aggressively be on that journey, right? Like I, I'm starting with that place of like, it's, it's your, you know, you have to figure that out, right? But I wanna urge people to be on that journey and it has been from what I have observed, the sooner you're able to disclose, the better. So some people, you need to disclose ASAP, like not even when you get the job, but when you're in the interview process. So I have students who are deaf and hard of hearing, right? And they might use a sign language interpreter and they need to be able to have the skills and the techniques to reach out to that employer and say, hey, I am so excited about the possibilities of working at your company. I'm excited about this interview. I need to request an accommodation in order for us to even get to that point, right? And so in some ways, like the sooner you disclose, the sooner you're able to see, does this company actually indeed have the type of culture that will be inclusive of me? And am I going to be able to have the voice to express what I need in order to be successful, right? So in some ways, it's, it's, it's even as soon as the interview process. Sometimes, and I'm going to bring this up because there's so many different types of disabilities, right? Sure. Like there's so many different types. And so I have a couple of students who are bipolar, for instance, and they might not need any initial accommodations. They might not need an accommodation at all in order to do their job and, and be successful. Um, but one of the things about mental health conditions is that you could eventually go through seasons of like depression. You could go through seasons of having certain types of episodes and things to that nature. And so that means that, you know, typically you want to be able to have a conversation with your manager that says, hey, like I need to figure some things out for me, which might mean I need a couple of days off, which might mean I need, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever that might mean. And like, so how can you have that conversation with your supervisor and they are equipped to provide that space 
you to be successful and healthy and for them to be successful and healthy. And typically it works, um, it works better when you're able to disclose on the front end. So that meaning that you might not go into all of the specifics about, you know, you don't have to tell people what all that means for you and, and what all of the, the implications of that is. That means that typically you reach out to one individual, you might fill out um, some information in your file to say, I have a disability and there may be times in which I need an accommodation. And then that way they are prepared to know, okay, okay, that means that, you know, whatever that means for your company. So I, I would say and recommend that the quicker that you can get on that journey, the earlier you're able to voice and express yourself the more you're able to see, is this a good fit for me in actuality? Um, so those would be my recommendations. I think that advice is spot on, and I think it's very wise for almost all situations. I think whenever you're entering into a space to, a, to kind of announce you know, what your identity is and letting people know that if, if it doesn't align with you know, what I'm looking for, there's not much I can, you know, move forward with on, you know, in this situation. And then to, to your other point, I think it's important for the employer to have some type of knowledge, not necessarily to make a determining decision, but they can't accommodate what they don't know. Right. And so, you know, I, I know a lot of business owners are going to be listening to this and they may not even thought about how to implement this yet, but I know it's, I feel like if there's any company that needs to be thinking about this, it needs to be black owned businesses. I think we, right. have to, right. we have to be at the very leading edge of this topic because we can't be complaining about wanting diversity and inclusion. And then we're not uh, being the very model that people could look to, to see, well, this is how that you, you know, incorporate it. Right. But if if we don't know that there's something to accommodate, then there will there won't be any accommodations, especially if it's something that we've never experienced before. Um, so I encourage people to take your advice as far as trying to be as open as you can be, uh, because I know in, in where I sit, if I don't know about it, I can't read your mind. I can't I can't know that it's something that's bothering you. Uh, or it's something that you're having to deal with on a daily basis unless you've communicated that to me. Um, but what are some ways that a company can uh, encourage that conversation early? Is there, um, I know a lot of companies on some of their, their uh, business communications, it will say, you know, inclusive work environment. What are some of the things that can give a sign to someone so they know that this is a place where they can have that conversation as early as they feel comfortable. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of actually really simple things that um, companies can do. So one in your recruitment efforts. So whenever you post a job um, posting or you have a career section on your um, website or something to that nature, have a little asterisk and a little statement that says contact this person or email here if you need to request a reasonable accommodation um, for the interview or job posting. 
right? Just having like a little statement lets people know that, oh, this is a place that is on their radar. <laughs> they, at least in some level, know that disabilities exist and I could say something if I need to, right? Um, also, for companies and organizations that have diversity statements, include the word disability, include word like ableism, Right, so you might have a diversity statement that talks about we do not discriminate against all of those different things. That's a pretty standard statement. Um, and then sometimes you might have a diversity statement that talks about how you see the world as a company and what type of workplace you wanna exist in. And oftentimes we see companies talk about their inclusion of race and gender and sexual orientation and military status. Um, and all of those things, and we often see disability left out of that list. And so, if you're creating any type of statement that's talking about DNI, include the word disability, include someone who has a disability. Um, and then, I think outside of that, one other way that I've seen um, folks start to bridge that conversation is um, through internal or external campaigns and external campaigns. And so we've seen that there might be companies that have like employee resource groups or like internal dialogues um, with all of their staff and staff meetings. And they might end up having conversations about um, uh, hitting your next phase in the workplace or they might have conversations about finances or they might have, you know, all of these different things in which they discuss just as like team activities. Um, and so it's a really good space to just open the conversation. And I think people would be surprised at how much it resonates. Um, there's so many people, actually one in six families across the United States have a family, a direct family member with a disability. So you would not be surprised of who has siblings who have disabilities and they start sharing the stories of what that looks and the level of advocacy that goes along with that. One in five people in the United States have disabilities themselves. And so you might see people just opening up about their journey and their narrative and you know what has taken them from get to that entry level position to that executive position while having a disability. So those campaigns and conversations, whether they have internally as a staff or you know, something that you might release about just how you see the world in terms of it evolving with DNI, um, those make a difference. And people notice, you know, when they're looking on your websites, when they're seeing the type of work in which you do, have you mentioned accessibility or disability in any type of way? You know, you you mentioned something, Carrie, that I think is going to be very important uh, for me to drill in on. You mentioned that disabilities is often left out. Why is, why would, as of today, why is disability um, a forbidden topic? Why are people not bringing it into the conversation? They talk about diversity, they talk about inclusion, but somehow disability isn't always mentioned. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's such a silence uh, around the term? Yeah, um, there's a couple of reasons. Um, one, um, I think the large majority, um, speaking just about the United States right now, um, I don't even know if people realize that disability is an actual like community that has like a history, that has rights, 
um, that has like spaces that you can interact with. Um, and those are the types of things that you don't get taught when you're young. Um, those are not the types of things that you see, you know, discussed in our schools and our, in our churches. Um, typically when people talk about disability, they talk about it from the sense of healing. So people going to the hospital and getting healed, you going to church and you, you hear about the blind man who could then see, you know, and, and that's the narrative of, you know, how people want to display disability. They don't think about it in the sense that people can be empowered by this sense of community and rights. And I think that's something that we need to do a lot, a big, a better job of. Sorry, trying to be with the noise. Um, <laughs> I think that's something that we can do a better job of as, as a society as a whole of recognizing that this is, as, as again, we mentioned, a class of people that have rights, that have history, that have knowledge, that all of these different things. And unless we start talking about it, not just in the sense of, you know, this person is sick and needs to get better, um, people are not attracted to that, right? So I think the narrative around disability has to change and shift um, in order for us to be more inclusive. Um, I think another thing is I've seen something that's been very interesting is I think people sometimes do it out of, out of a way of kindness. So if we think about our history, we think about someone like Harriet Tubman, amazing, incredible ancestor. And she's someone who we give a lot of um, respect to because she very boldly um, and unapologetically not only freed herself, but helped a lot of other people get free. What we don't talk about with Harriet Tubman is the fact that she did all of that while having disabilities. So we don't talk about the fact that she was knocked in the head by her slave owner and um, then ended up getting a, 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 a brain tumor and she ended up having seizures, seizures for the rest of her life. If anyone saw the more recent Harriet Tubman movie, movie they like touched on it really slightly, but not directly. Like they touch on the fact that she would have these like little dizzy spells and she would kind of talk to God, mm -hmm. um, but they don't name it as disability. Right. And in a lot of ways that erases it from our history, it makes it seem like she was kind of this able-bodied individual who had these like little dizzy spells and, and still did her thing. And I think that sometimes like people do that as a way of kindness. They don't want to display her as like this weak person with those types of vulnerabilities. Um, and I've done, I've had that in my life. Like people look at me as someone like, Carrie, you're, you're doing all of these and crazy, uh, uh, these incredible things. And I don't see you as disabled. I don't see you as someone who, you know, is struggling like that. And for the longest, I took that as a compliment. I was like, yeah, you know, don't look at me like that. <laughs> um, but I think the consequence to it is if we start erasing that narrative of disability, in a form of kindness, then it, it puts us in a position where we're not telling the whole truth and our whole narrative, and we start to think that something is wrong with us, right? So if my whole life people have been telling me like, you're not really disabled, ain't nothing wrong with you, then anytime I am having to confront the, the fact that I, it's just my reality that I have disabilities, then I start to feel uncomfortable and I start to try to like deny that. And that could mean me denying 
the fact that I might need some medical attention. I might need accommodations. Like I'm trying to stay as far away from the conversation as possible. So I think we need to get to the point where we just speak the realities of Black people have disabilities. People across the United States have disabilities. And um, that can be uncomfortable. That can cause pain, like all of those things. But that does not make someone not valuable. And does that does not mean that you have to look at, you know, defect more than you see value. Um, so those are a couple of things I would mention. It's similar to, um, you know, sometimes Caucasian people, white people, they'll say, well, I don't see color. You know, when I see you, I, I see, I just see a person. It's like, but if you don't see color, then you don't really see me. Right. Uh, that That is who I am. So there's no need for us to dance around it. So I, I feel like just because you see color doesn't mean that you see me as a nigga. <laughs> you know, you can right. just see me as a black man. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be any deeper than that. But to not see me as someone, to see not see me as what I am, uh, that is actually more dismissive than anything else. Um, but I do want to touch on something because people may be hearing some noise in the background. So I want to make sure we clear this up. But I think it also might speak to some of the work you're doing as well. Where are you located? Uh, for those who may be interested in knowing where you're located, and what type of work are you doing in that area? Yeah, so y'all might be here. I'm in, I am located in the D.C. metro area. It's constantly loud. Maybe not as loud as New York, but um, we're loud. <laughs> and um, um, I do a, a number of different things. So uh, the primary focus of what I do is working with individuals. I, I have a focus of working with young professionals. So whether that's with college campuses or just young, young people in general, and working through that process of understanding um, black leadership and wellness. So we go through different workshops, we go through different trainings, we create spaces and for you to have community and mentors to be able to say, here's the journey and process of me having to run an organization. Here's the journey and the process of me transitioning from school to work. And here is how I do that while navigating my physical and mental health. Right, so those are the types of spaces, those are the conversations that we have. Um, whether you directly identify as a disability, with a disability, whether you're an ally, whether you're someone who, you know, you got some things going on, not quite ready to claim it. We work with all of that, right? The second piece to that is in the midst of us working with young professionals and individuals, we also work with the company and the organizational side. So I've been blessed to be able to recruit um, approximately 4,000 young professionals for um, over 150 different Fortune 500 companies and over 50 different just organizations across the United States. And one of the things that I'm, I'm constantly seeing is that in the DNI space, disability is on the up and up. And people, as I mentioned, are hungry for talent. They're hungry to provide spaces that ensure their employees are healthy, that they're getting what they need in order to be successful and productive. Like all of that feeds into your business model. But we're also seeing that companies and organizations are like, where do we find people with disabilities? <laughs> how do we recruit them on like a larger right. scale? And then how do we create these types of methodologies 
that allow us to work with people in a way that's genuine and that's helpful. Um, and then finally, how do we do, like, how do we just even start that conversation, right? And so again, we create these, these programs, these initiatives, campaigns and workshops, those different tools that you need in order to ensure that you're able to recruit and you're able to open the conversation and you're able to retain folks so that, um, in a way that's inclusive of people with disabilities. I want to ask uh, at least one more question before we let everybody know how they can work with you and partner with you. Because uh, I'm hearing, I'm sensing a, a theme because you're saying you're working with the youth, but you also said earlier that um, you know, you found out about your disability at around eight years old and you didn't talk about it until you were, uh, or you didn't, weren't openly talking about it until about 20 years old. Was that something internal or did something happen to cause that? Are you finding that the youth that you're working with, it, it's more in their mind than it is uh, where they've actually been a bully towards it? What have you found and I'm sure it's all over the place, but what have you found to be a constant um, a narrative in that space? Um, the biggest thing I would definitely say has been like the psychological impacts of disability, right? So regardless of how significant having a prosthetic limb may be in my life, it's the fear and the mentality of how are people going to perceive me when they find out I have a disability. And that is challenging to get past. <laughs> um, especially when there's so many messages that affirm that fear. You could watch a regular movie and people talk about, I remember um, Kevin Hart did a joke about um, if his wife or his girlfriend got bit by a shark and um, he was like, and his wife was like, what would you do? He was like, I would throw the rest of you out there. <laughs> like, what are you like with like just one part of your body? Like there's just, it was kind of funny. It, it really was funny. But there are a lot of like way worse examples of like real life of ways in which people get discarded because of disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so that, that meant mindset, like overcoming like that, I don't like to use the word of overcoming, but you know, just, just transitioning your mindset to reject that um, is a really hard process. Um, I think the, I'm trying to remember the second part of your question. Uh, the, Getting the, the, how to, how do you do that? Sorry. <laughs> um, I would say the, the, the strongest way that I found people to get to that mindset of embracing disability is through community honestly. Um, so that was significant in my personal life. I don't even know if I would have ever embraced like the disability. I would have been happy being a black woman and that's it. <laughs> um, I got um, an internship when I was in college through an organization called the American Association of People with Disabilities. And I end up, uh, I was one of those like stereotypical people. I was from a small town in East Texas, shout out to Longview. And I got an internship in Washington, DC. And I was working in, um, at the time it was leader Nancy Pelosi's office. And it was like one of the best summers in my life in a lot of different ways. 
um, in the midst of that summer, it was the first time in my life where I was surrounded by people with disabilities who were all doing incredible, amazing things. Like they were also working on Capitol Hill. They were working in the White House. They were building businesses. They were starting initiatives. I, I just had never seen that level of representation outside of people being sick in a hospital or something to that nature. And it did something to me. It had me look internally at myself and be like, if other people can be an advocate, can be themselves, how can I be so like outspoken about the Black identity, about womanhood, and be so quiet about disability? And see all of the like ways in which people are suffering and not say anything. And so being surrounded by, I think, community, just having the opportunity to have that space was critical. And I found that every time I run a program, every time I start an initiative, and I can just get people in the same space, they become impacted. And they start to see, like, oh, man, like, I needed this. <laughs> I, I needed to be able to talk about things that I never thought pe other people would relate to. So I would say community and conversations are critical. I think you definitely bring a unique perspective that a lot of people uh, need to hear. And a lot of our business owners in our community, they need you as an ally and they need to be allies to you. How can someone work with you? How can someone partner with you and be a part of uh, your movement and, and the way that you are viewing uh, this space? How can they uh, join up with you? Definitely. So first, I would say follow me on social media, the standard place. You can look me up on LinkedIn, um, Carrie Gray, which is K-E-R-I-G-R-A-Y. Uh, follow me on Twitter. It's Carrie underscore Gray. And on Instagram, it's Carrie Gray 90. On Instagram in particular, I've been going through this different process of exploring Black disabled bodies and identities um, and trying to do it through photography in our artistic way. So there's definitely the professional side of this. There's just things that you would see on LinkedIn and Twitter. And then there's this creative understanding of, uh, of, uh, of discovering culture and identity that you'll start, you'll see more and more on Instagram. I'm in the process of getting my website up and um, running again. And so soon, I'll be able to follow up with folks about that. But one, I would say, follow me on those social media accounts. Um, get connected. Feel free to reach out to me. Um, we're happy to work, do consultations, talk about these programs and initiatives. Um, just kind of get you started. Or if you've already started and you're trying to think of new and creative ways to you know, be more inclusive, whether that's you know, in your initiatives or internally with your staff, uh, we can work with you. So I, I would highly recommend reaching out. Definitely do that. I do have one last personal question. Uh, if you can't answer, I understand completely. What are the top two uh, Black-owned restaurants in D.C. that I oh need to go to gosh. when I get there? <laughs> that is a tough one. Uh, that's one of the great things about being in the D.C. area versus, um, you know, some of the, I mean, there's some great Black-owned businesses, even in smaller cities. Um, that's tough. The top two. Okay, let me see if I can say two. So I love peaches. Okay. Uh, for anybody that's been in D.C. or interested in coming to D.C., it's a Black-owned business, Southern. 
food. I ordered from them recently. They jerk chicken was bomb. Okay, I mean, okay. It's like, you know, the mac and cheese of the world is it's, it's that. It's amazing. Um, I also love something that's not necessarily like the super traditional, like black southern type of food. Um, there's this uh, oyster bar. Mm. I want to say, uh, what exactly is it? It's a black owned oyster bar. I can't remember the full title of it, but if you look up that, you'll find it. Um, their atmosphere, first of all, when you go into the place, it's so like, you know, you with black people mm -hmm. and their music is bomb. Their happy hour is bomb. The food is like nice. Their fried oysters are good. Um, so they're really great. Um, there's, there's, uh, there's a couple of other places. Uh, po' Boy Gems is really popular. Um, you can have a really fun atmosphere and the food is good also. Um, there are a number of good ones. I, I think, I know you said two, but I'll just miss one more. Um, I can't not say Ben's Chili Bowl. They're classic. They've been around for forever. And pretty much anybody and everybody has visited that place at some point or another. Um, so the food is good, but it also has like a lot of historical value in reference. So those are a couple of just starting places. Okay. I'll keep that in mind when I come up to DC, when, yes. when I'm allowed back out. Um, right. So I'll definitely keep those four on my mind. I like it. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I love the work in which you're doing, and I just can't wait to see everything else that continues to unfold. Um, thank you. This was a good conversation. Well, thank, thank you. Hopefully this isn't our last because... Yes. Uh, this is a foundational conversation, but I know there's so many other pathways we can go down with this. And I want to want you to let you know that we are an ally and we are looking forward to learning uh, what we can in our own businesses and the things that we're doing to make sure that we are an ally and not just uh, try to ignore these conversations, but, you know, lean in a little bit and have those real dialogues. So thank you for uh, beginning this process for us. Thank you. Thank you for coming on Black Equity, and we will be talking to you again soon. The doors are always open for you to come back, and I'll be talking to you again soon, Carrie. We are truly grateful for today's guest. If you are interested in becoming an approved Black Equity strategic partner with this company or one in the past, simply send us an interest inquiry to the following email. DJM at DJMotri.com. Once again, DJM at DJMotri.com. Let us know your name, your company, your services, and which guest you are interested in partnering with. As an approved partner, you will have exclusive access to our network and have first opportunity at future partnerships as well. Thank you for tuning in and be sure to join us on the next episode of the Black Equity Podcast.